Well, today we're starting a two-week series on supernatural spiritual gifts, gifts like prophecy and healing and miracles, tongues, interpretation, those kind of, of gifts. And I thought it'd be helpful maybe if I started by sharing with you one instance in my life recently when I was very encouraged by somebody sharing a supernatural spiritual gift. So the one I'll pick to share about is it happened when we were still back in the States. And we were at the church that I was pastoring there, and we had shared with that church about the call to come here to Abu Dhabi and plant this church. And Jan and I had prayed about it, and, and the elders of that church had prayed about it, and we felt like this was God's call, that, that that church was supposed to send us out, that we were supposed to go. So we were confident of that, but we were praying that God would, would give the whole church a sense that this is God's will, this is God's plan, we're, we're part of what God is doing here. And so we were asking the whole church, pray for wisdom, pray for guidance, pray for confirmation. So the last Sunday that we were there, we, we, we have church on Sundays in America, kind of strange, but the last Sunday that we were there, um, I preached and then the church gathered around us to pray for us. And before we prayed, we asked if anybody had a spiritual gift that God had given them to share. And a young woman from the Philippines raised her hand. And she, she stood up, and with, with tears, this was so sweet, she said, God gave me one. He gave me a dream. I wish I wouldn't have gotten it. But in this dream, it was very distinct, I saw a little plant being planted in the desert. And this plant grew and became strong and healthy. And then she said, as I prayed over that dream, God impressed upon my heart, this is a picture of how I'm calling Stephen Jan to go to Abu Dhabi and plant a church. And she said, the Lord impressed upon me. I should share that this morning and tell you, Stephen Jan, elders and church, this is what God's calling them to do. It was so encouraging to Jan and to me. And it was so powerful to have God give that to the whole church because the whole church had a sense of, yes, this is God's will. This is God's doing. This is God's plan. So powerful, so encouraging, so strengthening. But now my background has, has not been in churches that were involved in supernatural spiritual gifts. I, I was saved in a wonderful church. Loved the Lord, loved the scriptures. God was moving very powerfully there. But I never heard anything talked about at that church about supernatural spiritual gifts. Just didn't, didn't hear it talked about. But then when I went to seminary and, and studied this topic, I became convinced that the Bible teaches that God is still giving these supernatural spiritual gifts. I became persuaded that this was supposed to be happening. And so as part of our journey, Jan and I one Sunday went and visited a church that we'd heard encourages supernatural spiritual gifts. We wanted to go and just say, well, okay, Lord, what, what would this be like? And, and I'm sad to say we were disappointed when we went. The, the people loved the Lord and, and were worshiping Christ, but the way that they pursued these gifts did not seem to be biblical and, and even seemed to be, to be harmful from what we could see. And so we left there discouraged, and I just kind of put that all out of my mind. I thought, well, I, I don't know what's going on here and just forgot about it for a couple of years until I was reading a book by Wayne Grudem, 
And it was a, a book about the gift of prophecy in the book of 1 Corinthians. And that book deeply impacted me. Not that it convinced me that, that these spiritual gifts were still being given by God. I, I already believed that's what the Bible taught. But what reading that book did was it convicted me that I was not following what I believed the Bible was teaching. I wasn't pursuing obeying Paul's command to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. And so that started us on a journey of saying, okay, what does the Bible teach and how should these be practiced? So, so that's my background. And I'm, I'm sure that when it comes to supernatural spiritual gifts, we here at Grace Church, there's all kinds of different backgrounds that we're, we're coming together from. Lots of different backgrounds represented here. And the steering team, which is Zach Galman and Luke Ibrahim and myself, we've been studying this topic and praying about this topic and felt like it was time for us to take two weeks and do some teaching on this here Friday mornings. And there's three reasons why we're going to be we're doing this series. just want you to understand kind of what our thinking is and where we're going. One reason is this. It's because if God is still giving supernatural spiritual gifts, if, if this is what God is doing, and if he tells us to pursue them, then we're disobeying him if we don't, right? The reason I say that, I've already quoted it, but look at 1 Corinthians 14.1. It's up here on the screen. Paul gives us a command regarding these gifts. He says, pursue love. That's the priority, not to make a show, not to draw attention to ourselves, but for the sake of our brothers and sisters, we pursue love. And in the path of love, we earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so through Paul, God is commanding us to earnestly desire these gifts. So if God is still giving these gifts, if he is, it would be disobedience for us not to pursue them. Do you see that? This is very important. A second reason. Again, if God is still giving these supernatural gifts, that's because we need them. We need them. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. See, the purpose of these gifts is to strengthen each other, to build each other. Look at what Paul says. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies, that's a supernatural spiritual gift, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. We need upbuilding in the faith. We can get discouraged. We need encouragement. We can get discouraged. We need consolation. We can be troubled. And if one of the ways God will help us build each other up and console each other and encourage each other is through spiritual gifts, then we need to be pursuing them. We need them. That's the second reason. Third reason is because God's word charts a middle course between two opposing positions. Now, this is a little bit simplistic, I, I understand, and, and there's a lot more that could be said about this, but I think this is a helpful way to see where is the church today when it comes to these supernatural spiritual gifts. This has been a helpful model for me to, to think through. Generally speaking, I think there's two opposing positions. On the one hand side, there are those who think God is not giving supernatural spiritual gifts any longer. People in that camp love the Lord. 
love God's word. God's blessing them. Beautiful ministries happening through them. But as they've studied the scriptures, their conclusion is that God is not giving supernatural spiritual gifts any longer. So that's one side. On the other side, an opposing position is you have people who love the Lord and who love God's word and God's powerfully working in their ministry. But they've studied the scriptures and have concluded that God is still giving supernatural spiritual gifts. But in, in many cases, I think unintentionally, they're practicing gifts and in, in ways that are, are not biblical and that I think are harmful. So here we have these two opposing positions. Now, some of you may come from the background where you think, well, God doesn't, isn't giving these supernatural spiritual gifts. Others of you may be from the background that God is still giving these. And I'll make some comments in terms of some of the practices there, and you can see where you fit on that. So we all, we all come from different places along that continuum. But see, here's the problem that develops, and that is the people who think God is not giving supernatural gifts anymore look over at the people who think God is still giving gifts, but see that they're pra being practiced very often in ways that are not biblical and not helpful. And they say, well, if that's what it's going to mean, I'm not interested. That's harmful. We're just going to play it safe over here. So there's opposition. And then people on this side say, but the Bible says God does give these supernatural spiritual gifts. And look at those people over there. They're not obeying what Paul says about pursuing them. So we're not going to disobey God. We're going to keep pursuing them. And so you have this opposition taking place. I believe that God's word charts a middle course between these two opposing positions. It's not a compromise. It's what does the Bible say? I think the Bible takes both groups and says, move here to this middle position. That's what the Bible, I think, clearly teaches. And, and I believe God is calling Grace Church to this middle course. And I'm hoping and praying, because I know we're from very different backgrounds here, that I can persuade you who are from different backgrounds that this middle course is what the Bible teaches. That's what's important here. Not what I believe. What's important is, what does the Bible teach? And I'm hoping and praying that I can persuade you that this is what the Bible teaches. Right? You will stand and fall before believing what the Bible teaches, not following me or any other pastor. Right? It's the Bible that counts here. So my aim is to persuade you, as I hope this is what will happen, that this middle position is more biblical. So let me give you seven statements describing this middle position, okay? First of all, I believe that God's word, the Bible, the finished canon, 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is our all-sufficient and supreme authority. I believe that. Our passion is to teach and preach the Bible. I hope you've seen that here on Friday mornings. I love God's Word. I hope you love God's Word. I hope you're reading God's Word from Genesis to Revelation, memorizing God's Word, obeying God's Word, living God's Word, sharing God's Word with each other. The Bible is our passion here. And, and all spiritual gifts are to be judged by, they're under the authority of God's Word. And all spiritual gifts are to be practiced in accord with God's Word, right? And God's word is the ultimate authority over everything, including spiritual gifts. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 
All scripture is breathed out by God. That means you have in your hands in the Bible the very words of God. The very words of God. Okay, this is it. The scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The reason that I'm committed to pursuing supernatural gifts is because the Bible calls me to. It's my conviction. That may not be yours yet, maybe, but see, that's why. It's not experience. It's God's word. So God's word is our all-sufficient and supreme authority. That is not going to change. We're not changing our priority to teaching and preaching God's word here Friday mornings. That's our commitment. Secondly, I believe that God's word teaches that God is still giving supernatural spiritual gifts and that therefore we're to pursue them. I'm going to talk more about that in a moment from 1 Corinthians 13. But let me just give you this one other verse. It's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Actually, Peter is quoting the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. And listen to what Peter says. And in the last days it shall be. Now, when are the last days? The last days started with Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and Pentecost. That was the beginning of the last days. And the last days goes until Jesus returns. We are in the last days. This is now. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So I'm persuaded that because we're in the last days now, this is what God is doing, wants to be doing now. I believe the Bible teaches that God is still giving spiritual gifts up until Jesus returns. Now, third, let's get a little bit more details here on some controversial points. I believe God's word teaches that the gift of tongues is not given to every believer. I think some of the well-meaning believers on the side who pursue spiritual gifts put way too much emphasis on the gift of tongues. It's one gift. What is the gift of tongues? It's where God gives you the ability to pray in a language you've never learned. And as you pray that, it'll, it'll strengthen your faith. And as it's interpreted so others understand what is being prayed, it'll strengthen their faith. It's very simple. Um, but the gift of tongues is not given to every believer. And the reason I say that is because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. It's very clear from the Greek language that the answer to each of these questions is no. So here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So the gift of tongues is not given to every believer. Nor is the gift of tongues, and I, and I know some of you are from a background that teaches this. I would just persuade you to, to search the scriptures on this. But the gift of tongues is not the sign of somebody receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not the sign of the baptism of the Spirit. It's not the sign of conversion. It's not given to every believer. It's a beautiful gift, but it's just one of many gifts. And God can give gifts sovereignly as he chooses to. That's really important. Fourth. 
this might be a little surprising to some of you. If tongues are heard in public, it's crucial that they be interpreted. Now, hear me out on this. This might surprise you, like I said, but what, this, what I'm saying is, according to 1 Corinthians 14, no one should be speaking in tongues and have it be heard by others unless it's going to be interpreted so they understand what's being said. Now, if that sounds shocking to you, I would just appeal to you, uh, read 1 Corinthians 14. That's, that's what persuaded me and many others to believe that that's what Paul is teaching. Uh, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. I just think that's really clear. And so I would appeal to you, if that's not your background, read those verses and the whole chapter to see the, the whole flow of, of thought here. If tongues are heard in public, then they should be interpreted. And if there's no interpretation, no one to interpret, then it should just be silently between the person and God. Fifth, God does still supernaturally heal the sick. But sometimes in his love and wisdom, he chooses not to. I think one of the... I think it would be well-intended but, but wrong teachings of, of this side who pursue spiritual gifts is the idea that it's always God's will to heal everybody right now. I just don't see that in the Bible. We talked about this when we were studying James 5 a few months ago. But one passage, I mentioned it back then, but remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? Now, my conviction is that the most natural way in the, in the passage to understand what that is, it's a, some kind of a physical affliction, probably what Paul had when he was preaching at Galatia, he says he had some physical affliction going on. But listen to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Heal me. Remove this thorn in the flesh. Take it away from me. That it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, this time Paul I'm going to magnify my power through you having this thorn in the flesh, not through delivering you from the thorn in the flesh. That's what God says to some of his beloved children when they're sick. There are times when he says, my nearness is going to be experienced more powerfully by you with this sickness than it would be without. And so we say, your presence is everything. Your nearness is everything. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are we clear on that? That's this middle position, so important. We pray for the sick. I want us to be a church that prays for the sick, asks God to supernaturally heal the sick. We have, we will see people healed. But there will be times when God lovingly chooses, wisely chooses, I'm not going to heal this time. I've got something better. Okay, sixth. Some comments on the gift of prophecy. It involves the Holy Spirit bringing something spontaneously to mind that's helpful to others. Prophecy is not equal to the scriptures. Prophecy must be judged by the scriptures. If somebody thinks they have a word of prophecy that doesn't match the scriptures, then they are mistaken that they had a word of prophecy. They didn't. Very, very important. And prophecy is not the same as preaching. I'm not prophesying right now. I'm, I'm preaching and teaching right now. Prophecies were 
God spontaneously brings something to mind that you share with others, and it, it's helpful for them. We can see that in 1 Corinthians 14, 30 and 31. Paul says, if, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, a revelation is where God spontaneously brings something to someone's mind, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. So prophecy is the same as a revelation being made to another. You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn, all, all may be encouraged. And again, it's for the encouragement of the body. Let me just share with you one story about how I experienced this. This may be the most powerful time I've experienced somebody bringing a word of prophecy. This is years ago, 28 years ago maybe. And Jan and I were in Southern California. I was working at a church, wonderful church, wonderful position, had financial security. And then all of a sudden, God started stirring our hearts. We were supposed to move six hours north to San Jose, California, uh, plant a church. And he, he did this. This might sound very strange, but through a number of dreams. I mean, San Jose specific words that the church would start with high school kids that I was supposed to work a different job because there was nobody wanting me to come plant a church. We were just kind of going up there on our own and just crazy ideas, just crazy nuts ideas. But this, I mean, very, very clear. We'd pray. Just be like, yes, this is what God's calling us to do. But one night I was just filled with anxiety and worry that maybe I'm just nuts, right? Maybe I'm just losing my mind. I mean, We've got a wonderful church family here. I've got a six-month-old and a two-year-old and my wife, and I'm going to move up there, and what job am I going to get, you know? And nobody's calling us, and this is just craziness. So I went to sleep the night saying, God, help me. If I'm wrong, correct me. Is this your leading? Are you calling us to go do this? Please make this clear or pull me back if I'm wrong. Help me. I was desperate. The next morning... I was teaching a class on the Old Testament at a nearby church. And during a break in the class, a gentleman walked up to me who I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew he was the class, but I'd never met him before. He knew nothing about what I was thinking about. He said, can we talk privately? I said, yes. So we went outside. He said, on the way here to this class, my wife and I felt led to pray for you because we knew you're the teacher. So we were praying, help Pastor Steve to teach today. And, and then as we prayed, we, we sensed God stirring something in our hearts that we were, we were supposed to, to say something to you specifically this morning. And he says, it might sound kind of strange. This may not be from God at all, but we felt like God wanted us to tell you, tell Steve that all of the leading has been from me. Tell him that he understands my will. He's supposed to move ahead in this plan. He said, I'm sorry if that makes no sense to you at all, but does that, is that helpful at all in any way? I said, yes, <laughs> totally helpful. And I was just so moved thinking, God has stirred this man to come and tell me exactly what I needed to hear. And it confirmed what we'd sensed from praying, what we'd sensed through the dreams, what we'd sensed from God's word. It confirmed it. Do you see how powerful that is? And we moved to San Jose, and God planted a church there, and it all worked. That's the gift of prophecy. Okay, one last point on this middle position. The baptism of the Spirit, what is that? We can talk more about that maybe in weeks, months ahead. I believe it occurs at conversion. When God enables us to see and feel the glory of Jesus and he pours his love into our hearts. Now, if you're not yet following Jesus, you may think, what's all this talk about spiritual gifts? Is this relevant to me at all? Here's a point that's relevant to you. This is what will happen to you when you turn from your sin 
and you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and as your, your treasure, you will behold Jesus in his glory. You won't see him with your physical eyes, but oh, the eyes of your heart will see. And God will pour his very love into your heart and you will be filled for the first time with God's love and presence. And that's the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the fact that every believer experiences that, has experienced that, I think is taught clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Look at what Paul says. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all, underline that word, all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, we can talk about that. I don't, again, I don't think tongues is the sign of baptism. This is the baptism. God pouring his love into our hearts, the eyes of our hearts seeing and feeling, trusting the love of Jesus, the glory of Christ, drinking rivers of his living water as Jesus promised in John 7. Okay, so there's seven points on this middle position. Now, everything, of course, depends on whether or not God is still giving these supernatural spiritual gifts. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning, focusing on 1 Corinthians 13. Why do I believe God is still giving supernatural spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 13 is the most important passage on that question. Here's what's going on at the church at Corinth. They had a problem, not that they were pursuing these spiritual gifts, but that they were not pursuing them for the sake of love. They weren't pursuing gifts to build up their brothers and sisters in Christ, to bless, strengthen their brothers and sisters in Christ. They were pursuing supernatural spiritual gifts to look good, to elevate, to exalt themselves. So look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. So powerful. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and that's not a good thing, okay? Bang, bang, okay, it doesn't help anybody. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So spiritual gifts must be pursued for the sake of love. And then, in verses 8 through 13, Paul explains there will come a time when spiritual gifts stop. There will come a time. When is that time? Look at what he says, verse 8. Love never ends. But as for prophecies... They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will. That's supernatural gifts of knowledge. It will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, 
the parcel will pass away. Then he gives three illustrations. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Another illustration. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, when the perfect comes, face to face. Third illustration. Now, I know in part. Then, when the perfect comes, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So do you see from that passage, Paul says there will come a time when supernatural spiritual gifts will stop. Do you see that? Very clear there. When will that time be? It's when the perfect comes. That's when. So what is the perfect? That's the big question we need to wrestle with when we are thinking about, are these gifts still taking place today? And there's three main views held by godly people who love the word. This is not an area where Christians need to fight. Christians should never fight. This is an area we can agree to disagree and love each other. But, but here's the three different views held in the church today. One view is that the perfect involves the church reaching a certain level of maturity, certain level of spiritual maturity. That's, that's the perfect coming. And so the idea is that once the church reaches this certain level of spiritual maturity, then supernatural spiritual gifts are no longer needed. And so they, they pass away. There's two problems with that view. Here's why I, I don't think that's the right view. One is because, notice in verse 12, Paul says that when the perfect comes, we will see face to face. And that language refers to seeing God. The way that language is used in the Bible, it means we will see God face to face. So when is it that we will see God face to face? It's heaven, right? This side of heaven, we don't see God face to face. We see through a mirror dimly, but we will see God face to face in heaven. And so Paul can't be saying that the perfect involves the church reaching a certain stage of maturity because that means that then we'd be seeing God face to face before heaven, and that's not what the Bible teaches. A second reason I don't think that's the right view is how does the church reaching a certain stage of maturity mean that like the spiritual gift of healing isn't needed anymore, or prophecy isn't needed anymore, or discernment of spirits isn't needed anymore? We still need those gifts. A certain level of maturity doesn't mean we're still getting sick, right? We can still pray for lost people and, and ask God to touch their lives, right? We still need discernment of spirits as we're ministering. Satan is still alive and well in the world, right? So the church reaching a certain level of maturity, I don't see how that means gifts should stop. Does that make any sense? So for those two reasons, I don't think that's the right view. Now again, I, some of my best friends hold that view. We're friends. We love them. Okay, we just disagree. Second view is that the perfect involves the completion of the New Testament. So the idea is that once the, all the books of the New Testament were written and completed, that's like late in the first century, that once that took place, then there's no more need for spiritual gifts, and so they'll cease. And now again, there's, there's two problems with this that I can see. See, see if this makes sense to you. 
One is the same one I mentioned earlier. Verse 12 says that when the perfect comes, we will see God face to face. Now, I am so thankful that we have the completed scriptures here. I hope, like I said earlier, you love the Bible. You cannot love the Bible too much because this is a letter God wrote to us of who he is, how we can know him, how we can be forgiven for our sins, how our marriages can be strengthened, how work should go, how we can be made right with God through the cross. I mean, this is the Bible, the completed words of God. We love the Bible, but the Bible does not enable us to see God the way we will see him in heaven. Do you see that? And so verse 12 says, when the perfect comes, we'll be seeing God face to face, which I don't think makes sense for understanding the, how the completion of Scripture brings that about. A second problem with this view is, is that having the Scriptures completed does not take away the need for spiritual gifts. How does having the completed Scriptures mean, like I said about the other one, that we no longer need to pray for the sick and ask God to heal them? We love the Scriptures, but we want to pray for the sick too. Or, or how does having the scriptures mean we don't need gifts of prophecy anymore? Listen, having the scriptures, when we were praying about coming here to Abu Dhabi and this young woman from the Philippines had the, the dream which she shared with us, well, what she was sharing there isn't found. The Bible doesn't, never said Steve and Jan should go to Abu Dhabi, right? We love the scriptures, but the Bible doesn't say that. So God confirmed that to us by giving her a dream. So we need the scriptures. The scriptures are our, are our priority. All spiritual gifts are judged by the scriptures. But what a beautiful thing to have this young girl get this dream and share that with us. We need both because this book says we need both. So I don't think it works to say that the perfect is the completion of scriptures. There's a third view, which, which is what I believe is the right one. And that's that the perfect involves Jesus returning to earth at the second coming. It's the second coming is what the perfect is. It's when Jesus returns that as verse 12 says, we will see face to face. We will see God face to face. It's when Jesus returns that we will know him fully, know God fully, just as we have been fully known by God. It's when Jesus returns that these take place. And, and it's when Jesus returns that we will have resurrected bodies, right? No more death, no more sickness, right? No more need for healing. Glory, get rid of the gift of healing because we're resurrected, no more sickness. Does that make sense? It's because we see God, see Christ face to face. We don't need prophecy to strengthen our faith. Our faith is strong because we see it all, the new heavens and the new earth, it's all true. So at that point, we don't need spiritual gifts anymore. It makes sense to me anyway. So that's what I believe Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. There will come a time when spiritual gifts pass away, and it's when Jesus returns. Remember Acts chapter 2, verse 17, which I read earlier. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. When does that take place? In the last days, which means they will stop when the last days are over, which is when? When Jesus returns. So Peter, quoting from Joel, is saying the same thing as Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Do you see that? Same truth. Spiritual gifts will pass away when Jesus comes back. But now think of what this means. 
If spiritual gifts will pass away when Jesus returns, then that means that before this time, when Jesus has not yet returned yet, what is God still doing? He's still giving spiritual gifts, supernatural spiritual gifts. Here's how Wayne Grudem puts it. He says that a normally functioning church would have the continuing experience of all the gifts mentioned in the New Testament. And these gifts, characteristic as they are of the church age, would continue in the church up until the time of the Lord's return. So that's our conviction, this middle position. Want to understand what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. See that spiritual gifts will cease when Jesus returns, which means we should continue to obey Paul's command of 1 Corinthians 14.1 to pursue love and for the sake of love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. So what's this going to look like here? We'll, we'll wait till next week. I've got a week to figure that out. Okay, that's, that's next week. Not a lot's going to change. Um, but I want to, and we'll talk about it next week. It's very important. And pray for wisdom. But let me just close this morning with four takeaways about what this means for us this coming week. Okay? Four takeaways. First of all, study the scriptures on this topic for yourself. That's my main passion, is that you would come to your conclusion from your own study of God's word. Please don't believe anything just because I or any other leader says it. It's not good enough. We want to be a church where you believe what you believe because you know where you believe the Bible says it and you can point to chapter and verse. Here's where the Bible teaches it. So that's my longing for you is that you'd study the scriptures for yourself and come to your own conclusions. If I can help you see what's in the word, then I'm, that'll make me happy. But that's the point. You, I want to help you see what's, what's in the word so you can see it in the word. That's the priority. And I hope you'll, you'll come to the point of agreeing that God is still giving these supernatural spiritual gifts today. Okay, second, this may raise lots of questions in your mind, probably lots. And so if you have questions, email them to me, okay, gracechurchabudabi at gmail.com. I may answer them in next week's question. I won't mention who asked them, unless you want me to, but anyway, I won't mention who, who asked them. Um, or I'll, I'll answer them directly if I don't think it, I could fit it all into next Friday's message. But if you have questions, questions are good. Questions are important. If you disagree and you want to share with me your reasons, I welcome that. We, we love each other. Okay? We're all here seeking to study the scripture together. And so feel free to email me your questions. Third, if, 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 big if, if you're persuaded that God is still giving spiritual gifts today, then start praying that God will give you spiritual gifts for the benefit of others. I'll show next week that we're supposed to pray for spiritual gifts. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14. Pray. And so if you're persuaded, let's start praying. Let's start praying because it'll build up your brothers and sisters. It'll glorify Jesus Christ. So pray. And let's have the worship team come up as I talk about this last point. Fourth, worship God for his grace and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean. 
I want you to think about the fact that we all were sinners by nature and choice. And it's not just that you sinned, you know, maybe once on Friday, and then maybe, yeah, I sinned maybe another four weeks ago. But we all, before we were saved, we all sinned all the time. Even the good things we did. It wasn't done out of love for God and desire for his glory. It was so that, you know, we could look good or so that we could feel better about ourselves, maybe. So we, we've all been sinners by nature and choice and deserved God's judgment. But as we celebrated with communion, God, in great love for us, came to earth in the person of Jesus, and God died in our place for our sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us. And so by trusting him, we're saved, we're forgiven, we're reconciled to God, we have God as our Father, we have his love for us the rest of our lives, no condemnation ever again. And with all the, all the wonderful benefits of salvation, one of them is that he, in great mercy, will give you spiritual gifts which will be greatly encouraging to other people. And he will give other people spiritual gifts which are greatly encouraging and strengthening to you. Now what beautiful mercy that God would have this young gal from the Philippines have a dream that would encourage us. Or that man at the Old Testament class would take me aside and, and that God would have told him exactly what to say. What mercy, he was blessed, I was blessed, God is glorified. What mercy that God would pour out his gifts upon us in this way. So I want us to stand together and let's worship God for his grace and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.